Acts chapter 10, and we'll uh, read together the first 23 verses, Acts chapter 10. <clears throat> Scripture says, There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. Well, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius, when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now, send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner, whose house is by the sea, and he will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they were making ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven open and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the, of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times, and then the object was taken into heaven again. Now, while Peter was wondering within himself what this vision meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for, at Simon's house and stood before the gate. They called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise and go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. So Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius, and he said, Yes, I am the one whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. So he invited them in and lodged them, and on the next day, Peter went away with them, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for the truth of your word. Lord God, we pray that you would give unto us eyes to see, Lord. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would give us ears willing to hear and a heart ready to receive what you have for us from your word today. Lord God, we pray that you would be glorified and magnified in this place as we seek to honor you in all we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we've been studying the book of Acts, we've been faced with a couple of concepts that we've been kind of drumming over and over again. Those being, we, when we are facing a, a call or direction from the Holy Spirit, we have two choices. We can resist the Holy Spirit or we can respond to the Holy Spirit. And as we look today in Acts chapter 10, it's no different, but... I'm reminded as I look at Acts chapter 10 of something else. When we study the, 
the pages of Scripture, there's certain things that tend to, to jump out. And when I talk to people, there are certain things that they say that tend to drop, to, to, to get drummed out. They, often I hear people say, I'm, a, I'm not very religious, but I'm very spiritual. Or other people will say, I'm not really into religion, uh, um, you know, but, but I believe. I don't know, there's a lot of different varieties of the same thing. And the problem is, in the, in the church today, many of us, well, we're sitting in a place of superficial religion. Superficial religion is just another list of do's and don'ts. And if we were to compare that relationship or that reality, if that's where we are, if we're in the midst of superficial religion, we're just thinking about what we should or shouldn't do, who we can or who we can't talk to, what we should or shouldn't eat. We have a list of do's and don'ts, and that's the reality of our relationship with God then we find ourselves on the sidelines without power, with no desire to witness. Because really, we don't have anything to tell anybody. Uh, the only difference between us and a Buddhist or any other religion, well, there would be nothing. Because in their religion, they have a holy teacher who teaches them rules. Rules to follow. And if that's all we have, is a religion with rules to follow, then why should we tell Anybody else about anything? They got their thing, we got ours, you know, we'll just stay on it and, you know, God will, will, uh, give direction or help to those who have a sincere heart. But that's not what scripture teaches us. Scripture teaches us that in, in superficial religion, there's no hope, there's no power. And the reality is within the church today, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of, I'm just marking time. I'm checking my checklist. It's Sunday morning. What do we do? Go to church. They're going to pass an offering box around. I'll make sure I put a little something in the offering. Check. Oh, they're going to pray a couple times. I'll make sure I pray with them. Check. I've followed the list or rules or regulations of religion. And I think that somehow is setting me apart from anything else. But beside... Beside that, we have what I, what I have heard termed as supernatural regeneration. Well, supernatural regeneration is when you have submitted your life to God. You give yourself away. Jesus said, unless you deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, you can't be my disciple. Period. Very straight, very simple. We're the ones... Who tend to water that down into a list of rules and regulations. But if we have, if we experience supernatural regeneration, the Holy Spirit comes into you and it begins to change us from the inside out. I'm not the same person I used to be. I don't do the same things I used to do. I don't even have the same motivations in my life for why I want to do what I want to do. Because God is doing a work inside of me. He's doing a work inside of me because I have been awakened by the Holy Spirit. I've been awakened by truth. I've been awakened by love and passion, power, a purpose for God that transforms me from the inside out. It changes everything. It changes my life, my thoughts, my relationships, the things I spend my life doing, the things I spend my life on. And that change within us causes us to tear down every wall of separation between us and others so that we can have an opportunity to do the one thing Jesus told us to do. There's not a list of rules. 
He gave us one thing. It's called a commission. Not a suggestion. A commission. In Matthew 28, he said, Go into all the world and make disciples of all men, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them the things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Jesus said, follow me. So when we have a reality, a real relationship with God, not superficial religion, but supernatural regeneration, we follow Jesus. We go where he goes. We tear down the walls that would divide us between people. This morning as we look at the scripture, we have a division. We have two people who don't like each other. You have Cornelius, who's a Roman soldier, who would rather be anywhere else than in Palestine. He would rather be any place else than in the desert, in the dirt, in the grime of the middle of the Judean wilderness. And you have Peter, who would be more than happy if that Roman soldier would just go somewhere else. I don't want him around here. Rome was a symbol of oppression. The Roman government oppressed the Israelites, and the Israelites rebelled, and so the Romans continued to oppress. They didn't like each other. They had nothing in common. In fact, as far as a Jew was concerned, a Gentile was nothing more than a a person to stoke the fires of hell. In order for hell to be hot enough, you had to put a lot of Gentiles in there to burn. And if they were there burning, hell would be hot enough, and everything would be good. In fact, part of the the Jewish law stated that if you were walking down the road and a Gentile woman was on the side of the road giving birth to a child, you were not to help. Just pass her by. Because she's just giving birth to another pagan and we don't need another pagan in the world. As we consider that, as we look at this story, it's important that we begin to look at ourselves because we all come with a variety of prejudices in our lives. And if God is real to us, and if we have given our lives to Him, then that means we are willing to be His witness to whoever God brings us. That we're willing to tell whoever the Lord would lead us to about the truth of who Jesus Christ is. And so as we see that, I want to... I, the the whole desire behind the men's retreat was that we would be awakened to the spirit, awakened to truth, awakened to love, awakened to passion, awakened to be who God wants us to be. That we would not just be asleep any longer, but that we would be men passionate. Our desire today is that we be men, women, boys and girls passionate to be who God wants us to be. Not just another religion with another set of rules. With another set of uh, uh, concepts that, that people got to follow. But people who truly believe and actually follow Jesus Christ. One of the cities in the story that we have before us in Acts chapter 10 is Joppa. Anytime I talk about Joppa, it reminds me of another guy. Another guy who had prejudices. See, there's this nation called Assyria. The capital of Assyria was a, a town you're going to know the name of. It's Nineveh. Maybe you've heard of that. And there was a guy named Jonah who God said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach to the Assyrians. And Jonah said, "Uh, no, I'm not going to go preach to them. I hate them. They're a vicious, wicked, horrible people. 
And I don't care. I'm more than happy for them all to perish and go to hell. I don't care. Well, that's what he said. He was in Joppa. The Lord said, go to Nineveh. He's, he's not going to go, so he gets on a boat in Joppa, going in the opposite direction, right? Everybody remembers the story. And well, have you ever been in a test of wills before? Have you ever been, have you ever had, if you have children, have you ever been in a test of wills with your child? You know how important those are to win, right? I was in a test of wills yesterday with a puppy. So the puppy has a choice. The puppy is going to go into his pen. Pen's all clean. Food's in the pen. Water's in the pen. And there are, most importantly, are no trucks driving in the pen. So the puppy does not end up a spot in the road. Seems like a good place for the puppy to be, right? Except in the eyes of the puppy. So what the puppy does is he comes just outside of my reach. You ever seen him do this? You call the puppy, he comes over to you, but he, I can't quite touch him yet. Brody, come here. No. I know what you're going to do. You're going to put me in that cage, and that cage is going to, is ruining my spirit, which must be free. So he runs around me, runs around the yard, and I look like a knucklehead chasing the stupid puppy who won't come. Now, I know I will win. I'll hold a bone. I'll, better yet, I'll take a duck wing out the back of my truck, and I'll dangle it in front of him, and he'll come to me. Now, he had a choice in the beginning. To be put in the pen, nicely, or to get punted into the pen. But either way, he's going in the pen. Well, Jonah's a lot like that puppy. Jonah says, I don't want to do what God wants me to do. I'm not going to submit to him. I, I don't care. I hate those people. He gets on a boat, and then the Lord sends a storm. And Jonah, you know this is true. You want to read it? Read about four chapters. It doesn't take you very long to read Jonah. You go, and the storm is raging. And Jonah's like, oh, God's not going to stop me with a little storm. I'll show him. So he goes and he tells the sailors, hey, the reason you got a storm is my fault. Throw me overboard. <laughs> I'll drown, die. I'm still not going to Nineveh. <laughs> Sometimes the battle of wills is that tough. So the sailors grab him and throw him overboard. Now the way I picture this, they throw him overboard and as he's falling toward the water, that fish comes out. <laughs> Catches him. Now, I think Jonah's probably thinking, ooh, this might hurt. A couple of bites, so and it'll be over. But that's not what happened. Swallowed him. Went into his belly. No, no, it's not like Pinocchio. In Pinocchio, you sit in the belly, you roast marshmallows, you're waiting for... That's not how it is. That, that fish's belly's not all that big. So he's filling it up pretty good. And the fish is thinking, I'm full, man. I'm not going to eat for a long time. At least three days. So the fish begins swimming off. And Jonah, you know, did I mention he lived at Joppa? Joppa is on the beach. Jonah had a tan. He would sit out on the beach at Joppa, sunning himself. But in the fish's belly, he became pasty white. All his tan shriveled off because the acid ate that. He probably had long flowing locks of hair. But 
gosh, that went too. So he turned from, you know, a surfer looking guy, cool looking prophet, to a scary looking bald, pasty white dude <laughs> who gets taken to the shores of Assyria and puked onto the beach. Now, just like the puppy, there's two ways in the pen. You can get punted or you can go. God's going to win. Now, Jonah still has a bad attitude. We know Jonah still has a bad attitude because we can read about it in chapter 3. Jonah, some people say, Jackie, you should pay attention to Jonah's message. It's a lot shorter than yours usually are. <laughs> well, <clears throat> listen, to, listen to Jonah's message. You ready? It won't take me very long to, to express it to you. Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. And he cried out and said, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Amen. That was his message. Forty days and Nineveh is going to be destroyed. And all you dirty, stinking people are going down with it. That's it. That's a total message. The Bible says the king heard it. He made a proclamation before all the people. He said to all the people, hey, everybody, humble yourselves before God. Take off your fancy clothes. Put on sackcloth and ashes. And let's come before the Lord in repentance and see if he will stay his hand of judgment. And God saw the repentance of the people, and he didn't bring his judgment. And Jonah went up on top of the mountain and said, I knew you were going to do that. God of mercy. And he's, chapter ends, chapter 4 ends with him pouting, praying that God would kill him, because the Lord saved people he didn't like. That happened in Joppa. Same place where Peter is. Well, let's, let's roll it forward a little bit. You guys heard of a fellow named Mahatma Gandhi? Mahatma Gandhi was a, a famous Hindu. When he was in England studying, according to his autobiography, he was in England studying, and he learned about Jesus Christ in his studies. And, and he was really excited about Christianity. In fact, he said, this, I think this is the answer for the caste system in India. I think this is truly it. I think the teachings of Christ are... Are amazing, And so he came to a church with the intent to spend some time with the pastor and ask him about the different doctrines, the doctrine of salvation and how this all worked out. And as he came into the church, he was met at the door by ushers and the ushers said, yeah, you can't come here. You need to go and worship with your own kind. And Gandhi said, oh, so there's a caste system in Christianity I might as well stay in Hindu. Superficial religion will don't change anybody, but it turns everybody off. So what I would appreciate is if that's going to be the goal of people, rather than running around calling themselves Christians, name yourself something else. Take your name and call you that. I'm a, a, a Jackian because I am the most important person in my world. And I am on my throne, and I will make my decisions, and I have my own set of rules, and I have all this stuff, but I'm not a follower of Christ. The follower of Christ is different. A follower of Christ, I'm not on the throne. A follower of Christ means I am submitted to Him. That I will do what Jesus does. And that means the walls of separation come down. Every wall, every division, everything comes down 
Jesus said, Whosoever will call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But the question is asked, how will they know unless someone is sent? How will they know unless someone goes? And the whole point of that is not to wait for someone with the gift of evangelism. The point of that is, the Great Commission means we're all supposed to go. The Great Commission means every one of us has a job, if we're a follower of Jesus Christ, to rightly represent Christ to the world. Not following a bunch of rules, just being like Him. And the good news is, He gives us all the power to do it. For all the power to be a new creation created in Christ Jesus comes by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Unfortunately, you have to wait till next week to hear a lot more about that. But we'll get there. This week, though, we have to understand, am I going to resist or respond? Nobody comes to faith except God draws them. Nobody comes, but the Lord begins to whisper to your heart. God begins to, to woo you, to pull you, the Spirit. And that's exactly what we see on the pages of Scripture. The Spirit begins to prepare the heart of Cornelius. Look, at 10, verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what is called the Italian Regiment. The Italian Regiment, we read about it in history, had 6,000 men. Ten cohorts of 600 soldiers each. Each one had a centurion over it. One of those centurions' name is Cornelius. We see in verse 2, what do we know about Cornelius? He's a devout man. Another word for a devout man is he's a pious man. Another word for pious, he's religious. He's a religious guy. He doesn't know God. You can be religious and not know God. I hope you understand that. Unfortunately, I think a lot of people will spend their entire life just being religious. The word religious means to be bound to something. You can be religious about anything. You can be religious about football. You can be religious about work. You can be religious about religion. It just means you're binding yourself to something. What saves, what makes someone born again... So when the Spirit of God enters into a life that has been submitted and committed to Him, when someone answers the call of Jesus, when Jesus called the disciples, what did He say to them? Follow me. And they did what? They followed Him. It's that simple. It really is that easy. It begins with profession, and it ends with the activation, my walk. I follow him. First I profess, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Begins with profession, but it also moves forward in to, to the performance, to the walk. The Bible tells in 1 John that if you say you are walking for Jesus, then you ought to walk as Jesus walked. Don't deceive yourself, the Bible says over and over and over again. Don't deceive yourself. A religious person doesn't mean anything. What's a religious person? Let me give you, right now, a diagram of a lost man in verse 2. Diagram of a lost man. First, he's religious. He's a, he's a devout man. <clears throat> Secondly, his whole family. He's got his whole family in tow. So the whole family is religious. They're, they're there, it says, and they, were, they feared God. That phrase, to be a God-fearer, means that they were a proselyte at the gate. It's a fancy term for a Gentile who followed the rules and regulations of Judaism. Except, they wouldn't get circumcised. So, 
They didn't want to get circumcised. They follow the rules. They're called a God-fearer. They still pray. They still give alms. They still follow all the rules of the religion. But they are called a proselyte at the gate because they don't go all the way through. They don't follow all the way through with it all. So we see he's a God-fearer, a religious man, who gave alms generously. He was free with his money. He gave to people who had a need. That was a, a requirement in Judaism. The next one says he prayed to God always. He would pray. I hear people all the time say, yeah, I pray, I pray all the time. That's nice. That doesn't mean anything if it's just an idea or a religious system that you follow. If it's not a reality of a relationship in your heart where you've committed yourself to the Lord. Well, look what happens. We got this religious guy. About the ninth hour he's praying. The ninth hour is 3 p.m. All time is counted from 6 a.m. And you just do the math. You come up with 3. 3 p.m. He's praying. That was one of the prayer times. You know, a, a, a religious Jew prays three times a day. Three times a day. You know who they're following? There's a little teenager who got taken away to a land called Babylon. While he was taken away at 16 to a land called Babylon, he was turned into a eunuch and he became a servant of the king. He ultimately is going to serve two other kings. His name is Daniel. And the Bible says of Daniel that he did what? Prayed three times a day. So if you want to be religious, now I'm not saying Daniel was. Daniel wanted to pray, and so his habit was to pray three times a day. People looked at Daniel's life and said, okay, if I want to be like Daniel, I've got to follow the rules, and the rules of following Daniel is, I pray three times a day. Right? Don't we see that in church today? The rules, once upon a time, the rules of church was, you had an organ. Now, the rules change. Now, the, the rules of church now is you you got to have electric guitar and drums. Well, it's no different. It's just another set of rules. Well, the rules are you're going to sing two songs and then have announcements and then do a couple more songs and the preacher's going to preach for too long and then we're all going to go eat. That's the rules. We don't got to... It's not about following the rules. It's about what's your heart? If you come, I hope your heart is to come and see God, to come and experience the Lord, to come and minister to your brothers and sisters, to come and be a part of the body and how see how the body functions. Because that's what we're here for. And prayerfully, I hope that's what you're here for. We have a religious man. He's praying. But here's what I want you to note. You go through the Bible. You read it. You study the Bible. You want to hear from God. I hear people all the time. I haven't heard from the Lord. I want to hear from God. Go through the Bible and find out when God talks to people. Daniel, Cornelius, Peter. God talks to them when they're praying. When they're praying, God talks. Well, I pray all the time. I hope so. Then you have opportunity for God to talk to you all the time. It's like when, you're, when your wife tells you, fellas, that she needs quality time. The only way to get quality time is to have quantity time. Because it doesn't matter how much you try to plan the perfect thing, it goes sideways. Oh, I'm sure. None of you guys have experienced that. But if you want to be able to have quality time, you've got to have quantity time. You've got to spend time together. You want to have the Lord speak to you, you've got to have a life of prayer. Paul said, 
Pray without ceasing. Here we see Cornelius. He's a, he's a man. He prayed to God always about the ninth hour. He prays and an angel appears to him there. We see in verse 3. The angel appears to him and says, Cornelius. Now I love how the Bible says this. Because sometimes we read the Bible and we have holy eyes the Bible so much we miss the shocking things. For example, well not that that's bad to be holy. Don't get me wrong. But verse 4 he says, and when he observed him. That is the craziest part of that verse I have ever seen. Well, let me put it to you like this. He's praying. He's praying. You ever get the feeling like somebody's watching you? You're just sitting somewhere and I feel like someone's staring at my back. That's what's going on. Cornelius is praying. He stops praying and he turns around fully expecting not to see anybody. And he sees an angel. And the scripture says, so when he observed him, yeah, I I think he kind of freaked out. The next part of the verse, what's it say? He was very afraid. When he observed him, yeah, he was afraid. I felt like somebody was looking at me. I turned around, you know, there's an angel looking at me. Cornelius. He gets very afraid, the scripture tells us. And he says, what is it, Lord? What do you want me to do? He said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Memorial before God. You know, a lot of times we, we, we talk about scary verses in the Bible. You've heard me talk about it a couple of times. One in particular is, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, and I'll say to them, depart from me, you accursed in the everlasting darkness, for I never knew you. And they'll say, but Lord, I did miracles in your name. I cast out demons in your name. I did all these things in your name. Yet Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. Someone had a superficial religion, but never had a real relationship with Jesus Christ. And so they were never saved. And I don't know about you, but that scares me. But then I read stories about Cornelius, who has superficial religion. He's not saved. But the Bible says, the angel says, you have a pure heart. You're seeking God with a pure heart. Now about this time people say, oh Jackie, don't you know. In the book of Romans chapter 3 it tells us that no one seeks God. Okay. Here's what happens. God draws. We begin to seek. According to Jeremiah 29, 13... He says, if you seek me, you will find me. If you seek me with your whole heart. All of it. So here we have this guy, superficial religion. And and the Lord's been wooing him. The Lord's been drawing him. God moves first. We don't move first. God does. And then we respond to God's moving or we resist God's moving, right? One of those two things happen. When we respond, we begin to seek him. When we seek him with our whole heart, God says, you'll find me. I'll reveal myself. What's he do to Cornelius? He doesn't leave Cornelius lost. Listen, if you're afraid you're in a position of superficial religion and you don't really know the Lord God, but your heart is, I want to know him. I want the reality. I don't want the, the fake. I don't want all this other stuff. I want to know him. It's your whole heart. Then you will find him. You will enter into that experience. You will receive the Holy Spirit. You will be empowered by God and you'll be used by Him. Because your heart is turned toward Him. God moved first. You responded to His move. And that brings about that beautiful work. But 
If, on the other hand, your searching is, I'm looking for a God I like, with the rules I like, and the kind of system I like, then all you're really looking for is another religion, and you're not going to find anything. You'll find emptiness. It's not going to come together. We want to be men and women responding to what God's doing. We want to respond to the move of His Holy Spirit as His Holy Spirit moves. And that's exactly what we see going on with Cornelius. The Lord reveals Himself. He sends an angel to him. He, he says your works, the things you've done, God remembers you because you're seeking Him with your whole heart. So He reveals Himself to him and He tells him what to do. He tells him what to do. He says, I want you now to send to Joppa for Simon whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon a Tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what to do. Now, how do we know if I'm resisting or responding to the Holy Spirit? It's really simple, guys. It's so simple, anybody can figure it out. If you want to know whether you're resisting or responding, the bottom line is, are you obedient? Are you obedient to what God has revealed to you? Are you obedient to what you know God's word says? God's word came to Cornelius said, send men to Joppa. How do I know Cornelius was responding to the Holy Spirit? He obeyed him. He got two servants and a devout soldier and he sent them. If you want to know, am I in a place of resisting the Holy Spirit or responding to the Holy Spirit? Then you have to ask yourself, are you being obedient to God's revealed word in your life? Are you being obedient to what God has spoken to your heart? Are you being obedient to what His Word says? I hear a lot of people, it's, it's so easy to pick on, so I always pick on it. So, I'm sorry, if it, if it hits you, I have no idea who anybody is, so it's okay. But, um, often when I talk about this, being obedient or disobedient, I'll talk about marriage. I hear a lot of excuses of why people don't get married. The Bible's pretty clear. The Bible's pretty clear. It's not okay. It's not okay for man and woman to cohabitate. Period. Now the Bible don't say you got to get married. You have a whole lot of other choices. You can move out. You can live separately. You can get married. I've heard a lot of people with a variety of different excuses too. In fact, one guy one time told me, well, we can't afford it. So I said, I'll tell you what. I'll do the ceremony. I'll pay for the license. I'll do it all. You guys just show up. But they still wouldn't do it. They still didn't want to. Listen, if you're not responding to God's revealed word, then you are resisting the Holy Spirit. Now, it's not just in regard to marriage. It could be a lot of things, right? I mean, the Bible has a lot of concepts in it. And the concepts that we understand, well, let's hit everybody while we're bruising toes. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5 says, Men... Love your wives as Christ loved the church. Are you being obedient? Well, come on, Jackie. I cannot love my crazy wife all the time. <laughs> it's almost impossible to do that. Well, let me simplify it for you. The Bible just says that I have to agree with God. I agree with God. That's my responsibility. My role is to love my wife like Christ loved the church. When I fail at it, the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, I confess my sins. The Lord is faithful and just to forgive me my sins, and I try again. But it never ceases to be my responsibility. So therefore, I am responding to the Holy Spirit. Wives, you don't want me to do yours, do you? Yeah. No, no, no. We know that one. We know that one. We got that one down. 
I don't have to do it. I can't just not do it. <laughs> Women, submit yourselves unto your husband as unto the Lord. Preach it, brother. Man, that's... <laughs> you know, the, the scary thing about that is John's single. <laughs> the idea is not do I have perfect performance. The idea is do I agree with what God's Word says and in agreement then I'm moving forward in obedience. See, if we want to move to supernatural regeneration, we want to experience the power of God in our world today. We want to experience the power of God like it's on the pages of Scripture because I believe everything that happened in there is real, and I believe everything that happened in there can still happen today. The problem's not God, that God doesn't have the power. The problem is us. We stand in religion instead of moving forward to supernatural regeneration. That means I'm fully committed. I'm in. I'm in. I'm pot committed. I'm done. I'm, it's all in. If we, as we come to that point, as we move to that point, that's where we experience power. If we sit outside that point, we won't experience it. You'll never have it. And you'll never be driven to share what you have with somebody else because, well, let's face it, what you have is not all that great. We want to have the reality of everything that God has. We want to respond to the Holy Spirit. And like Cornelius, who's not even saved yet, we're obedient. He sends the guys. Now, let's look at Peter. God's preparing Peter. It says now, <clears throat> it says now in verse 9, The next day they went on their journey and drew near the city. Peter went up to the house stop to pray about the sixth hour. Huh, he's praying. I wonder if God will speak to him. And he became very hungry. I've been there. Anybody else? Some of you guys are thinking, Jackie, hurry up. It's a lunch time. I'm going, I'm going. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance, and he saw heaven opened, and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him, and let down on the earth. And in it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, birds of the air. And the voice came to him and said, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Who's talking to Peter? The Lord is talking to Peter. Oh. Then this next thing should never happen. Peter responds, verse 14, no. Hmm. Reminds me of a little puppy. <laughs> Peter, there's two ways we can do this. The hard way or the easy way. And the voice spoke to him again, again the second time and said, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times and the object was taken up into heaven. He sees a vision. Sheet comes down with all kind of four-footed creatures. Now, usually I get excited about this because I think about all the food that's on the sheet. But the Bible says all kind of critters. Not just the ones we want to eat. All kinds of critters. Every four-footed beast is in this sheet. You're thinking, what? Most four-footed beasts I want to eat. It doesn't sound so bad. Really? How about the mouse? How about the rat? Now, I know there are some people in Arkansas who eat possums, but I don't want to eat a possum either. And I have heard tell that people eat rock chucks. I don't know what's wrong with them. Why would you want to do something like that? A rock chuck is a giant rat. I'm not eating a rock chuck either. In this sheet, 
is all these animals. What do these animals represent? Everything that people say is no good, is unclean, that person's worthless, it's not worth reaching out, it's not worth helping. That's what they represent. And Peter should have remembered because Jesus talked about it. Hold your place there. Flip over to Mark chapter 7, and we'll read together Mark chapter 7. As we read our way through, we'll see the things that Jesus taught and the concept that he's laying out right now for Peter, preparing Peter's heart by the power of the Holy Spirit to be a witness for Cornelius. It says, Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way. Holding the tradition of the elders, when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups and pitchers and copper vessels and couches. Then the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? But they eat bread with unwashed hands. And he answered them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. As it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, washing pitchers and cups, and many other such things you do. He said to them, All too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother. And he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is Corban, that is a gift to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down. And many such things you do. And when he had called the multitude to himself, he said to them, hear me, everyone, and understand There is nothing that enters a man from the outside which can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. When he entered a house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him about the parable. So he said to them, Are you still without understanding? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him, because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach, and then it is eliminated, thus purifying all foods? He said, what comes out of a man that defiles a man? For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adultery, fornication, murder, theft, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. A lot of people, they look at this and they say, Listen, i got to make sure that I keep away from all these people because all these other people, are they're going to mess me up. I'm going to keep from eating all these things. Listen, what defiles you did not come from that person you were hanging out with. What defiles you was already inside of you. We talk about this all the time. I don't care what laws you pass. I don't care if our entire nation says that no one can own a gun, have a bullet, do any of that stuff. It's all gone. Take it away tomorrow. And the next day, brother will kill brother with a stone. Because the desire to kill is in the heart, not in the tool. 
The nature of man is defiled. In Romans chapter 11, Jesus says, You are all unclean. You are all disobedient. So I can have mercy on you all. Nobody's clean. Nobody's special. Religion doesn't purify a soul. Nobody. What purifies the soul is the supernatural regeneration of the Holy Spirit that only works in a life totally committed. I'm pot in. It's all or nothing. Can't just pretend. Can't just stand on the sidelines. You got to go all in if you're going to experience the things that God has for you. And that's what the Lord is saying to Peter. He's saying that the animals you're seeing in this sheet, they're not the things that make you unclean. Peter, your own thoughts make you unclean. Peter, your own heart is evil. Peter, the problem is inside of you, not with everyone else. Now what would happen if every person on the face of the earth began to understand that the problem with this world is not out there, it's in here. And every person brought what was inside of them into submission with Christ. What would happen to the world? If everybody walked like Jesus does, what would happen to the world? People say all the time, religion, it's all religion that brought all these wars. Yeah, I I agree. Religion. Stupid rules. Dumb things. Not men who were committed to fully follow God's word, period. People who, just like those Pharisees, made their own rules. You didn't wash your hands right. You know how they had to wash their hands? They had to pour water this way and run off the elbow. Then they had to turn the elbow down and pour water down the elbow and it had to drip off the pinky. If it didn't do that, it wasn't a proper cleansing and you had to start again. Now while we're talking about how dumb that rule is, think about all the dumb rules we got. Think about all the crazy ideas we have. None of those things bring you to God. What brings you to God is a willingness to say, you know what, it's not about me. It's not me, it's Him. I want to live for Him, period. I'm taking myself off the throne. It's not me, it's Him. Why do I get up in the morning? I get up in the morning so that I can report to the Lord and say, what do you got for me today? And it wouldn't matter if I was working at the church or I was working someplace else. That would be the same reason I got up in the morning. I get up in the morning to spend time with Him. I get up in the morning to pray. I get up in the morning to to prepare myself to be His witness to whomever He brings me that day. That's our job. Everyone's, not just the preachers. Everybody, that's a fully, utterly, totally committed person. Right at the time when Peter finishes, he's wondering about this vision. Those three guys show up at the gate. And they start shouting. Now remember, they're at at the Tanner's house. The Tanner's house is right on the beach. Right on the sand. Peter's on the roof. He's looking out over the beach. The breeze is blowing. And he's contemplating what he just saw. And just then... Three Gentiles show up, and one of them is a dirty, stinking Roman soldier. You know, those are the guys who beat Jesus. Those are the guys who drove the nails into his hands and stuck them on the cross. And the Lord is telling him, you pull down all your prejudice, because you remember what I said on that cross? I said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. Jesus loved them. While they were doing that to him. That's why in Peter. Later on. 
if you read Peter, Peter says, listen, we need to be like Jesus. When we're reviled, we don't revile in return. You know the whole concept of turn the other cheek? When we're threatened or when we're attacked, we don't threaten. We commit ourselves into the Father's hands. I got a, a brother right now being beat every day in a prison in Iran. His name is Saeed. He was my friend on Facebook long before he ever went back to Iran. Every day, probably several times a day, he's getting beat. And I pray every day, God heals him after every beating. That God gives him words to share with them other jail- the people that are in that prison. So I promise you, the people in that prison are hearing about Jesus every single day. And some of the words that have come out simply are, we have a Bible study every day, men are congregating around. I hope there's an earthquake, God opens up all the prison doors, and everybody in that prison goes to Saeed's cell, and they get saved. And I pray God will supernaturally deliver him and get him back to Nagme and his kids. I pray that he gets to come home one day. But the Lord says, my ways aren't your ways. And I trust him more than I trust anybody else. And so did Saeed. And so, I write all the petitions. I write the letters. I sign all the stuff. I do everything I can here. I'm responsible to do what I can here. We all have opportunity. In fact, there's things on our website you guys can go to, sign them, send the petition in. They get enough signatures. Maybe Washington will wake up. And somebody will care that an American citizen's in prison in Iran. But in the meantime, I pray and God moves. And my brother in prison is filled with the supernatural regenerating force of the Holy Spirit. And he will be the witness God wants him to be. And so can you. All you have to do is respond what the Holy Spirit's doing. He saw that stinking Roman soldier. Listen to what the, the, the angel said to him, what the Spirit speaks to his heart. It says, Then Peter thought about the vision. The Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Diacrino is the word. I don't, it doesn't really matter what your Bible says. Your Bible says doubting nothing or making no distinction. Diacrino means without judgment. Diacrino means you go down there and I don't care who the person is or what he looks like, what he smells like. This person that I'm bringing to you is your person to witness to. And he says, go. Don't doubt. Don't make distinction. Does God make a distinction? No. We're the ones that make distinctions. We're the ones who say, oh, that person smells funny. I'm going to sit on another side of church. We're the ones who say those weird things. I I always loved Chuck Smith. Chuck Smith, when they were building the main sanctuary in Costa Mesa in California, they they were still having hippies coming to the service. So that's a long time ago when there was hippies. And the hippies would come in straight from the beach barefoot. And the elders said, man, we got to get them guys to wear shoes. They're going to ruin the carpet. And Chuck said, I'll rip a carpet out. They can walk in on concrete before I'll tell them to go get shoes. God makes no distinction. Every man is worthy of the gospel. Everyone. So what does Peter do when the Holy Spirit lays this on him? He responds. How does he respond? In obedience. He brings those three guys into his house. And they sleep in his house. 
was against the law for a Jew to have a Gentile sleep in his house. So, we see Peter growing, right? We see Peter about ready to go out and do some amazing things. And next week, we'll spend a lot of time talking about those things. But the important thing for us to grasp, to take from the scripture, what we see today, is that same thing we've been beaten. I will beat this horse until we get it. And the idea simply is, very simply put, if you're resisting the Holy Spirit, then you are not experiencing what the reality of a relationship with Jesus Christ is all about. You are not experiencing it. If you are in superficial religion and a bunch of rules and a system of do's and don'ts, you are not experiencing it. You experience it in a real relationship with Jesus Christ. And that real relationship begins by me verbally speaking that I believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then I obey. I step out. I walk like Jesus walked. So many of us get to the lip part. So many of us just get to that part and we never move on. Well, we got to move on. We got to get to the reality of my life is for Christ. It's me for Him, period. No matter where He takes me, no matter what He needs to do with me, it's me for Him. I am ready to spend and be spent for Jesus Christ. Are you? Are you ready to spend and be spent? Doesn't mean God's going to take anything away from you, it doesn't mean He won't. The point is, will you give yourself to him that way? Will you say, here I am? Will you just put yourself out there? And when you do, the Lord is going to bring people to you. Just like he brought this guy to Peter. That doesn't mean everybody you see on the street is somebody the Lord's bringing to you. we got to learn to rely on the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit says, Jackie, I want you to talk to this guy. I need to talk to him. I was in Circle K in California one time. I walk into Circle K. And there's a guy that looks like Rick. Well, let me rephrase that. There's a guy there in Circle K that looked like Rick used to look. He look he's all pretty today. You look good, man. All dressed nice, nice Hawaiian shirt. I thought you'd be a great example for me, and you're just not doing it for me today. I'm sorry. I'm kidding. I walk into Circle K. What do I see in Circle K? A guy that's got big old gauges in his ears. So his ears, big old... He's got piercings sticking out of his head. He's got them sticking out of his cheek. I don't know what they call all that stuff. It doesn't really matter. But he's got all this stuff. And I look at that dude and I'm like, oh, get away from me. You know, I'm casting out Satan as I look at this guy. Like, oh, Lord, I'm going to stand on the other side of Circle K. This guy gets out of here. And the Lord said, what are you doing? I brought that guy in here for you. Okay. God moves that way. I remember Rick and Kristen coming to Harvest America, sitting right over here. Huh? Isn't that where you were sitting? Sitting right over there and tats all over his arms and piercings coming out. His kids got piercings coming out all over the place. It reminded me of that dude in, in Circle K. I'm like, oh, wow. He comes. We show a, a evangelist. Nobody, anybody, you know, Greg Laurie, but nobody... You, you know who he is maybe, but you don't know him. He's up there. He talks about Jesus Christ. The next thing I know, Rick and, and Christine are up, running up to the front, giving their life to Jesus Christ, and everything in their life has radically changed ever since. Because 
with God, there's no partiality. No such thing as good enough or not good enough, or you look the part or you don't look the part. I don't care if you're tatted from your ears to your ankles. I don't care. God loves you. God wants to express his power in your life. I don't care how many holes you want to put in your face. I don't understand why, but I don't care how many holes you want to put in your face. God loves you, and he wants you to experience his power. Not religion, his power. So much more than what we're experiencing that God wants to reveal to us. And all we have to do is get in. All we have to do is respond. Listen, God's already calling. He's calling you today. It's not something you do. You don't save yourself. God saves you. All you do is respond. How do I respond? I confess with my mouth. I believe in my heart. And I walk with my feet. And that brings me in. It's possible just to speak with my mouth and do nothing. I need to speak with my mouth, believe in my heart, and I need to follow him. That's what he said to me, right? Follow me. Deny yourself and follow me. And when we do that, you experience so much more than what religion is. You experience the reality of Jesus Christ. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Kathy was giving me the symbol. She does this. That means stop circling the plane and land. So. <laughs> Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we come before you and we just pray, Lord Jesus, your spirit is moving in this place today. God, your spirit is reaching out. There are people like Cornelius here today, people who are hearing the voice of the Spirit speak through your word and saying, come, commit, give it all, don't hold anything back. And when you do, I'm going to meet you there and I'm going to empower you there and I'm going to do incredible things in and through you. I'm going to give you meaning that your life has been missing. I'm going to give you the reality, not just another religion. Not a re- Nobody needs that. I'm talking about for real, the real stuff, the real stuff that the Bible says really happens today. It really does. God really speaks. God really empowers. Amazing things happen. But they happen in lives that are fully committed. And Lord God, I just pray, I pray, Lord Jesus, that those here whom the Spirit is speaking to would stop resisting and start responding. To step out, to confess, to believe, and to walk. God, that you would just do a work, Lord, and show your power. Bring that baptism of your Spirit and empower your people. Lord God, as we... Just close in an attitude of worship. We pray, pray. Your spirit would call. And men and women would respond. We pray, Lord, that you would move in a mighty way as we sow the seeds of revival, as we travail over them in prayer, as we water them with our tears. We pray you bring the harvest. And we give you all the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to close in a word of worship.